listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little bit of a scheduling change here. We were going to talk with Max Temkin, founder of the Nuisance Committee, which put up the billboard uh, in Dearborn that uh, taunts Donald Trump just a little bit. But uh, we're having a little problem getting hold of Max on the phone, so we're going to go ahead to the next segment. We're always a little spry here on Detroit Today, just willing to do what needs to be done to keep the show moving. Uh, so uh, students in Flint who have been affected by the city's drinking water crisis are not getting the basic services they need to do well in school. That is according to a lawsuit filed by the ACLU of Michigan this week. We've been talking for a long time now about all of the things that need to happen to help the people of Flint and rebuild the trust that was shattered there. Of course, we should note it is still not safe for many people in Flint to drink water out of their taps. There are still schools where there are big questions about what's going on in the water. And this lawsuit that has been filed by the ACLU, I think, is one in a series of things we are going to see over a long period of time that try to address these deficiencies and address the issue of redress. How do you fix what got broken here in Flint? What do you have to do to make sure that the lead that was contaminating the water in Flint doesn't send kids for the rest of their lives on a trajectory of difficult learning and other problems? Here to talk to me today about this is Carrie Moss. She's the executive director of the ACLU of Michigan. Welcome to Detroit Today, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. Absolutely. And Chastity Pratt-Dossie, a reporter at Bridge Magazine, joins us. She frequently joins us to talk about education here on the program. Good to see you, Chastity. Hello, Detroit. Yeah. Um, so, Carrie, let's start with you. Outline for me the dimensions of this of this lawsuit. Uh, why was it filed and what is it specifically that you're seeking to have done that's not being done? Well, we all know by now uh, what happened in Flint. Um, it's now been about uh, close to a year since the magnitude of the exposure was, you know, kind of fully exposed. Yeah. Um, and virtually nothing has happened to help the public schools. And, you know, if you really care about the city, you fully expect that people aren't going to move back or stay if the public education system is not, um, you know, at its best or, or certainly good. Um, and unfortunately, there's been very little done. So the governor's 75-point plan, which you might remember that came out last March, yeah. said almost nothing about K-12 ed education. Um, before this happened, the nurse-to-student ratio in the schools was 1 to 5,500 children. And the legislature has appropriated some funds for additional nurses, but it's temporary. And the American Society of Pediatrics recommends one nurse per school. So, I mean, it used to be under the Blanchard administration that many schools had health clinics. Well, that doesn't exist in Flint. There have been resources put into uh, early childhood, but there are not enough seats for kids, and it's basically only for zero to three. So virtually nothing has happened for children ages three to 18. Um, and most importantly, there's been no real uh, effort to do enhanced educational screening to determine what kind of new needs um, the population of children might be experiencing. We know that Mona Tisha is developing some initiatives around this, but the state's not funding it. The state is not leading it. The state is not leading 
reforms in the schools at all. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that, that, that strikes me when we talk about Flint and when we talk about things that need to be done in Flint and many of the things you were just talking about is, is the way that these issues predate in many cases the water crisis. Mm-hmm. In other words, that, that the, the water crisis was a reminder of how bad things had gotten and it is a, a, a it's an event that introduces a new set of problems that the city didn't have before, but that if you went back two days before the switch of the water, for instance, or 10 years before the switch of the water, a lot of the things that you're talking about were still true in the city of Flint and especially in the Flint schools. Well, and it's true for many urban districts with declining populations. I mean, the there are a lot of problems about the way we finance schools that certainly had put Flint in pretty dire circumstances. And I, you know, I want to say, I think the district's been struggling under tremendous obstacles for a very long time. It's one of two districts in the county with a large deficit. It was about a $10 million deficit, I think, leading into this. Uh, And, and, you know, they were understaffed. They're cutting staff. Uh, And we really saw that that played out in a way that harm children with special needs. So for example, I think in 2014, the graduation rate for kids with special needs was 28%. Um, We've seen astronomically high incidence of suspension and expulsions of children with special needs. So rather than kids getting positive behavioral intervention so they can stay in school, we're instead seeing we were seeing kids being suspended at five times the rate uh, they're suspended in other, you know, districts statewide. Yeah. So then, I guess the question is: Is the suit addressing the water crisis, or is the suit really addressing this massive sort of narrative of disinvestment over a long period of time that left Flint and its schools in this dire shape? Well, we've. Um, we're suing um, under three important federal laws, the American with Disabilities Act, the um, Individuals with Disabilities Act, and the Rehabilitation Act. And so what these laws require is that um, all children from birth be um, identified for special needs, that they receive a certain kind and quality of services if they have special needs, um, and universal pre-K. So these are things that kids are entitled to and weren't getting. And then when you layer over, right, what happened with the lead crisis, the urgency, yeah. you know, really, really increased. Yeah. So, so what what would the state be doing in your mind that that would be better? And what would the federal government be doing that would be better? This is a suit filed in a federal court because uh, the, the the violations you allege are violations of federal law. Uh, do you also, though, imagine a federal role in Flint that, that could be larger? Well, one of the things we're asking for in the case is that an expert panel be convened um, to determine the kinds of programs that uh, could be most impactful in the short term and the long term to assess the quality of kind of medical care and wraparound services because there's a lot going on around the fringes and there's a lot that the philanthropic community is doing, but it all needs to be kind of pulled together. And, you know, there's, we know that evidence-based interventions work, uh, but we just haven't seen those really kind of in play. So we're, we're asking for an expert panel. 
Uh, presumably, they can also determine whatever the cost would be. And, you know, to the degree that there is some a need for some kind of a special master or ongoing um, oversight, then that that happens as well. And, you know, we think that's particularly important with respect to the Michigan Department of Education, because the responsibility really rests with them at the end of the day to make sure that kids with special needs are appropriately identified and get the services they're entitled to. Yeah. You know, I have a question. I'm, I'm wondering, um, what do you think the long-term effects of this lawsuit could be? I mean, of course, being a federal lawsuit, it could have some far-reaching uh, precedents across the nation. But when you talk about uh, special education, everyone knows that we don't put enough money into that already. And then, like you said, when you layer on top of that, the fact that all the children in the city of Flint essentially were exposed to some lead for a long course of time, two years uh, to say that all these kids now need to be evaluated for services and on a consistent basis, that could be a game changer. That could cost unending, untold amount of money. True. How do you, you know? How and do you where, get to and where that? Does that money, where does that money come from? I mean, that that's always the question here in Michigan. When when we talk about doing better or doing more in any government service, but especially for our schools uh, yeah, and especially people, especially for special ed, people don't people don't believe that there's room to, to, to raise more revenue, to tax people more, for instance. And I shouldn't say everybody, it's not everyone, but a lot of people believe that uh, that, that you can't raise taxes enough to, to fund things like this. Why, why well, do you have a different view? I, you know, I think that um, the day is coming when this state is going to have to address the broken system of financing for the public schools. And just so your listeners know, there's really three different funding streams for the schools. The first is the per pupil allotment that goes into the general fund. And, you know, the problem with that approach is that when you have a declining student population, the money is kind of fleeing the district. And so in cities that are struggling, they have less and less money. And even when they're cutting costs, they can't keep up with it. And uh, Dr. David Arson from MSU has has documented like a there's been a net 50% decline in urban areas of fundings because of this particular funding stream and it doesn't keep up with inflation. Uh, the second stream is special education and and the state only reimburses districts 28% of the cost of um, educating children with special needs. So when a district has more kids with special needs like Flint or more serious special needs, they have to go into the general fund to make up the difference. To subsidize To that. subsidize yeah. it. I mean, that's just wrong. Yeah. And, yeah. right, and, and you know, frankly, um, uh, doesn't comply with federal law. And then the third funding stream is the way we finance the buildings that children learn in. And that's totally dependent on property tax. And so in the poorest districts, the districts with low property tax bases, you're ending up with these buildings that are falling apart. You may remember we uh, were involved in Highland Park sure. and the high school there had used to be a prison. I mean, right, that's how bad things can get in poor but, cities. But you know what, I'm, I'm thinking about it now. Maybe that was an unfair question because um, when you're the ACLU, you sue for civil liberties and, and it's, it's up to the government to figure out how to make it happen <laughs> okay. if you win, right? <laughs> <laughs> but when I look at this lawsuit, I think the other thing that I find interesting is we know in the, the wake of the Flint water crisis, we've learned a lot about lead. And two years out, we know that this is, we're in the throes of it. If there are children who are lead exposed and are going to be living with the multi 
generational effects there. It's happening now. And looking at this lawsuit, you guys um, talked to some families where there are students who have been displaying some of the effects of lead, uh, whether it's ADHD or, you know, what what have you. And they're being, instead of helped, according to your lawsuit, they're being uh, suspended from school. They're being treated as if uh, what could possibly be a effect of lead is just bad behavior. And so uh, the, the other thing I also found interesting is there were some instances where you guys identified families who tried to escape the Flint water crisis through the school mm -hmm. choice program and were told, mm, yeah, no, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> uh, and, and, and all of those things are really the effects of, of this whole crisis. So the question is, if you guys don't win, what do we do with all these kids? <laughs> who yeah, have, what happens? Well, what happens? I mean, you know, that's that's always part of the 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 conversation when it, when we have a big issue. Why is it important that this lawsuit go through? What what's what's up? What are we up against here? Well, I think we have a really strong case, and I should also acknowledge our partners. We're doing this case with the law firm White and Case and the mm -hmm. Education Law Center. Uh, I, I hope we'll win, and mm -hmm. I think we we have both really uh, important story to tell and important facts that that we can prove. And and the laws are are good; they're strong. They just need to be enforced. And you know, unfortunately, lawsuits don't solve complicated social problems, but what they can do is force people to the table who are not working together, um, and they also force attention and and shine a spotlight. And we hope that you know, one of the, the outcomes of the suit will be that we can, can keep pressure on Flint, not let it fade into the imagination, right, or into history too fast. And and that, you know, we put front and center the importance of the public schools, which we know that Democrats and Republicans care about alike. But for some reason in this whole last 18 months or so, um, there's been almost no conversation about which I find really, really surprising because we mm -hmm. do know the, the uh, multi-generational impact of lead. And we, I, I also want to say we do not want to stigmatize all children in Flint. All children can learn, but they need to have the kinds of interventions that we know will work. We And it's up to us. We have a moral duty, not simply a legal duty. We have a moral duty to get these children that help yeah. and but but my other question though excuse me um steven <laughs> is, is right ahead. Uh, when, when you when you file these lawsuits there's always a, a a class some people who have been affected talk to us about these people's stories what specifically i mean because right now we're just talking about issues and what's right and what's wrong according to this lawsuit but who are these people how have they been affected well we're representing uh uh, 14 families um, with children as young as is four and, and as old as, you know, 16, 17 years old. And each of them have a story about ways in which um, the, the law has not been been met. And um, one ex example is, you know, we had a um, an overdiagnosis of children as with cognitive disabilities. So we've been arguing that children are not being properly diagnosed. And the we now use the term cognitive disability for what used to be retarded in quotes. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's basically the diagnosis you get when you're gonna put a kid into a classroom with 40 other children. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one big problem. Um, the use of seclusion and restraint is a big issue. So rather than 
uh, training teacher and faculty in positive behavioral intervention. Kids are being punished. Right. They're being secluded. Well, bring it home for us, though. There's one kid in particular, eight-year-old, handcuffs. Talk about him. There was, although that did not happen in the district. It happened in a third-party after-school program. Mm-hmm. But I think it just really, um, seven years old, he was handcuffed. Um, uh, but it just brings home the fact that he's clearly having behavioral issues, and the people working with him are not appropriately trained, and he's certainly not getting the help during the school day mm-hmm. to kind of manage those behavioral problems. Yeah. So um, we had another uh, one big problem we saw is that the records of these children are not well maintained, if they exist at all. We've had an entire uh, school, we know, uh, with destroyed records because of a flood. Uh, Very few records are kept electronically. And so uh, and then even when they do exist, they're often not read or followed. So we had one child who had a peanut allergy, was given a cookie with peanuts, Mm. went into anaphylactic shock. Mm. He was uh, not taken to the hospital. Instead, his mother was called, and she rushed to the hospital and found him lying on the floor in his own vomit. Um, You know, I'm sure these are rare instances. Uh, Certainly, hope it is. But it's just you know, this these schools are struggling under difficult circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it speaks to the strain that everybody who operates in those environments is is dealing with. Yes. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Carrie Moss, Executive Director of the ACLU of Michigan, and Chastity Pratt-Dossie, a reporter at Bridge Magazine. We're talking about the ACLU of Michigan's suit uh, to try to force more help for the children of Flint, the kids who go to the schools in Flint, not getting basic services they need to do well in school. If you want to join the conversation, talk about this lawsuit, talk about what is going on with kids in Flint and what you think ought to be done. Also, give us a call and talk about how you might pay for the things that we need in Flint. That's one of the things, one of the conversations we don't have enough here in the state of Michigan about how to come up with more revenue for the things that we want, for the state that we want to have. 313-577-1019 is the number. 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or uh, hashtag us on Twitter, Detroit Today, and we will try to work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Tom in Northwest Detroit. Tom, yeah, good morning, everyone. Hey. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure that the governor's got a rainy day fund that they could dip into. But my question is this. <clears throat> in terms of, okay, suing the governor or suing the government of the state of Michigan, this lawsuit's not going to get caught in that thing that they just passed here not long ago, a few months ago, where they were saying that, you know, to for the lawsuit to go through or to be able to sue it would have to go before a committee who would have to approve, yay or nay, if, you know, it could go through. Uh, yeah, Tom, that, that uh, so I think that was about the city itself uh, being able to sue the yeah, state. I don't think right. that was about uh, privately filed class actions. Oh, but, okay. But I, was but I want to let Carrie Moss, uh, who's the lawyer in the room, <laughs> answer answered that question uh, right there was a time limit by which the city had to file yeah there, a were these, and then they, there are some restrictions on the city being able to sue the state over the flint water crisis i think that's what tom is referring to um there are not restrictions on 
on individuals or individuals in a class. That's correct. We're representing um, citizens of Flint. So yes, and and we're also, um, this case is different than many of the other lawsuits that have been filed in Flint, which are seeking money damages for residents of Flint. What we're seeking is called injunctive relief, which is that we want to see federal laws enforced and the requirements of those laws kind of implemented. And so that's that's our main goal. Okay, let's go to Terry in Detroit. Terry, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank everyone. Hey. Um, I wanted to just say thank you to the ACLU for standing up for these children um, in Flint. You know, our children are the ones that us adults are supposed to be protecting, so thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Um, it does occur to me that suing in federal court seems reasonable. They are federal clean water laws. However, it seems like we need to do something um, uh, in the state of Michigan. I mean, these were decisions by people, um, you know, state officials and agency officials in Michigan. And so it feels to me like there could be quicker resolution of some services if there was an ability to hold the state accountable. And the last comment I wanted to make was to Stephen about the cost of paying for this. We all know that if we don't find the money to help these kids now um, have productive lives, they're going to be headed to really um, dysfunctional lives. Many of them will be headed to prison because that's just how we do it in sure. America. Sure. And that's going to cost us a it lot more, more in the long run. Yeah. yeah. No, but and, thank and, you guys for having this important discussion. No, thank you for the call too, Terry. And you're, you're absolutely right about the money. That's the conversation I feel like we're not having, which is that if we don't invest in the things that we think are important and cherish now, we pay for them on the back end and we often pay far more than we would up front. And Carrie, that kind of speaks to another issue that the ACLU um, uh, is, is working on, which is the school to prison pipeline. Sure. What, that, what Terry was saying, if you don't pay now, they're going to be in prison and they're going to go right from school to prison because they haven't gotten what they needed in school. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to respond to your, your question, Terry, we are trying to hold the state responsible through this lawsuit. We're just relying on federal laws um, the three laws I had mentioned, the American Dis with Disabilities Act, Rehabilitation Act, and IDA. Um, and those laws r put requirements on the state. And so if we win, then it will be the state's duty to kind of follow through. Um, yeah, the school to prison pipeline, right? When you see these kind of suspension and expulsion rates, five times the, in Flint, the state average for um, and, and the low graduation rates and the high dropout rates, you know, what are, what's the future for these children? It's what we call the kind of school to prison pipeline. So whether we pay now or we pay later, right, it's, you know, um, it's a matter of what are our values? What do we stand for as a state? Um, how, how much of a priority is education? And, you know, I think we spend more on prisons right now than we do on education. And of course, that that's just wrong. Makes no sense. We're in one of a handful of states, in fact. That does it that way. Uh, talk about the process uh, for this for this lawsuit and a timeline for uh, when we might know that whether the state will be held more accountable for these things. You know, that's always hard to say. Uh, it's a matter of kind of trying to read tea leaves. We filed the case <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. We hope, so it won't be tomorrow. <laughs> we hope that the judge will, uh, you know, feel some urgency here and move expeditiously. And, you know, that's about the best we can hope for. We certainly hoped we wouldn't have to file a lawsuit. We had been waiting and watching and advocating um, and having lots of conversations with, with public officials. But unfortunately, it didn't work out. So now we are um, resorting to a lawsuit. And those do tend to be a little and slow. One, well, and one possibility I always sort of hold out 
hope for is that a lawsuit like this puts new pressure on Mm -hmm. state officials. For instance, if they decide that this is a suit that has a likely likelihood of success in the federal courts and that they might be held uh, liable for more, then maybe they're a little more open to the kind of discussions that maybe you were trying to have with them before. So uh, that would be a potentially shorter path. We just want to get help to the kids in Flint as soon as possible. And and, and in regards to the conversations with politicians and and such, it makes me wonder: Are you speaking to the wind when you when you have these conversations? Now, we we did a story in Bridge back in August that talked about all of the money that has been pledged and promised, and the fact that we're in year three of the Flint water crisis, and there's sort of been uh, for months some radio silence on the issue, and, and the progress is hard to to pin down or how to even describe or the lack thereof uh, because there's this uh, perception of Flint fatigue. And I just wonder, in, in 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 working on this case and trying to speak with politicians, do you feel there's Flint fatigue? People don't want to talk about it, or do you feel that there is just people at, at a loss as to what to do? I think there are a lot of people of good faith and goodwill working really hard to try to fix this problem. That being said, I think it's too little, and I think a lot of the work happening is is. Uh, around the edges. I'll give you an example. There have been appropriations for early on in universal pre-K, but there aren't enough slots for all kids. And, um, you know, a lot of uh, the pressure is really uh, rests with the private sector or with the hospitals or with Mona Atisha's clinic. Um, But the money has not really been forthcoming. Um, You know, why can't there be longer uh, fixes to the availability of having nurses and public health officials in the schools. So it tends to be kind of, you know, what can we do for the next few months? There's no real long-term thinking. Why isn't there an expert panel convened about how to improve the public schools? There's not, I don't think, one task force, official task force um, to deal with the public schools. How, how can that be? So I, I don't know if it's fatigue, I, if it's lack of leadership, if it is... Um, a hope that somebody else will come in and save the day. But, you know, I think at this point, we're stepping up and, and we're going to put on the pressure. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys have been in it from the beginning. You broke the story yeah, <laughs> about right. this Flint water crisis. Right. And, and and that was years ago at this point. It's hard oh. to believe. Yeah. It's hard to believe. Still, still slogging along. And thank there. you, um, Chesty, for all your great work at Bridge. Yes. Really. That's all. That's why we have her here. Yes, on the show too. <laughs> really amazing. <laughs> all right, Carrie Moss, Executive Director, ACLU of Michigan. Cassidy Pratt, Dossie, reporter with Bridge Magazine. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit right. today. See you next time. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to the person responsible for that billboard in Dearborn, sort of lampooning Donald Trump over the fact that he probably can't read Arabic. Stay with us on Detroit today. Mm-hmm.